Hey, everybody, really excited on today's Sweaters Forever podcast to talk to two-time Stanley Cup champion from the NHL Network, Dave Reed. We'll get to him in a second. It's proudly presented by Choctaw Casino and Resort in Durant. Your favorite slots, table games, and dining are back, guys. Everything's back at Choctaw. You can visit their world-class casino. Head up there this weekend. Your winning experience awaits delicious dining rooms. I've been there myself. It's absolutely an amazing experience. Thanks to Choctaw Casino and Resort for sponsoring today's Sweaters Forever podcast. Dave Reed is joining us today, analyst for the NHL Network. Personally, I think one of the better analysts in hockey. You'll remember him hoisting the cup uh, in 1999 for your Dallas Stars. You can watch NHL tonight at 5 o'clock, plus NHL Network will feature exhibition games beginning Tuesday at 7. Visit NHLnetwork.com for your channel listings. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dave. Thanks, Gavin. My pleasure. It's good to talk hockey once again. Yeah, absolutely. How is your, we just talked about this off the air, how is your quarantine and your schedule with NHL Network going to work? Uh, it, it looks as though, for me, I'll be coming down probably doing the regular shifts that most of the analysts come in. They usually have us in for three to five days at a time for the, the guys who aren't local who live in the New Jersey, New York area. Uh, I'm a little different. There's I think Mike Johnson and myself are the only two Canadians who live in Canada who travel in and out regularly. We've got other guys, um, Canadians who are you know, living in the States full-time. So crossing the border, I haven't done yet. You know, my work visa uh, says I can do it and allow it. It'll be, that'll be the only interesting issue is, um, because the borders are obviously closed to non-essential work. So we'll see how that goes, but I, I, I'm, I'm anticipating everything to go well and that we will get back to uh, some sort of regular schedule And once the games get up and running, and I'm hoping by the end of this weekend uh, to have... Um, my schedule for the next month or so, kind of like everybody else. But uh, I think everything is still, yeah. I know everything right now is still very fluid and moving along as to who's getting games, how many games are going to be aired where and uh, and so forth. So it's at different times, but I'm looking forward to it. So you're playoff ready. Oh yeah. Let's, uh, let's go. I just, it's difficult refreshing because everybody's healthy now. So I've been yeah. refreshing and all, man, these guys, you know, this goalie's out here, all this guy's are, it's like, Nope, not anymore. Everybody's back. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I still haven't done that one bit of research as to which teams have started the seasons on a high in the last few years. And mm-hmm. I think that that might come into play if teams are good starters at the start of the regular season. That might be something that, that could help a few teams out and might be looking as underdogs. And other teams uh, have kind of notoriously slow starters. That might that may not be the way you want to be right now because it's uh, once they start that best-of-five series, Dallas isn't in that, but once the other teams all start this the best of five series, there's you can't have a, a a slowdown or a lag. You've got to start pretty much in high gear. Yeah, one of the other fascinating uh, aspects I was talking about this last week is Jason Dickinson of the Stars said, "I tried my hardest outside of Toronto to work out, but it's not the same, and I I lost a lot of my playing weight, and it's going to be tough getting that back. I think that's going to be an adjustment for players as well. They're they were gearing up for those playoffs, and then they have this time off, and no matter how you try, you can only do so much to keep in that." or getting ready for that playoff-type shape. Patrick Lane was talking about that as well. I can't believe in you know a week or so I'm going to be playing playoff hockey. <laughs> yeah, Gavin, it's interesting because a lot of players, if they don't have a full gym facility in an area that they can do privately, um, everything's been shut down other than maybe the last few weeks it's starting to open up again, at least up here. And I think it's the, kind of the same throughout North America and, and most of the world. So... Um, I can understand where Dickinson's coming from on that because you know you, you, you get you build up 
even through the season to playoffs, but even in the summer, which these guys pretty much had their summer vacation, you build up your workouts to hit training camp so that you're peaking at the right time. And a lot of those times are you're skating with guys, which most people haven't been able to do because the facilities aren't open uh, until they got back into you know in into Dallas to where the facilities open with the NHL and also your training facilities. And it all depends where guys are living. Every province and state has different rules uh, that are applying, so it, it could be very difficult. Uh, you get guys get routines, and once you get out of that routine, you might be in good shape, but mentally you're not comfortable because it's not your routine. And I think that's going to come into play. But you can also see that everybody is in the same boat. And uh, so that should help everybody's psyche thinking, okay, well, everybody's doing the same as I am. We should be on an even playing field. But uh, we'll wait We'll wait and see in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So anytime I have a former cup-winning Dallas star on, I get a lot of questions from, from listeners and fans of that team because without that team, I don't know if hockey would have that popularity here in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex. So, you know, one of the things getting prepared for this uh, interview, you had a real good run in that 99 playoffs. You had 10 points, and you were on that pivotal line with Neuendijk and Langenbrunner. So uh, running backs and quarterbacks take care of the rest of their offensive line when they have good years. What did the former Stars GM and playoff MVP get for Dave Reed since he won that trophy? Uh, he got me a Stanley Cup ring. Uh, <laughs> All right. I, I think that's the way everybody looks at it. Uh, and, you know, Newey had a great run. Uh, I was uh, Benoit Hogue hurt his knee, an ECL injury, uh, after I think it was like in the second round in the second round. And, and uh, Hitch moved me up to that line in the left wing position with Newey. Um, and Jamie on the second line. And, you know, I stepped into a great situation. We clicked really well. And against Colorado, we had a, uh, we had a real good series. And then, of course, you had, you know, you had Mo with uh, Holly and Yerletten on the top line. So we were kind of 1A and 1B. And um, all I needed was the Stanley Cup ring. I think everybody was the same. But we had so many guys. I knew we won the uh, Smythe, and But Eddie was unbelievable in that. Our defense was absolutely phenomenal. Zuby and sit back there and, you know, leading the way offensively. And, you know, we were such a, a deep team and skilled team. You know, everybody everybody stepped up for each other. So it was, it was one of those things that we don't see it the same as we see in football. Uh, we all look at it it's like, hey, we all got the Stanley Cup ring and we all did it together. So it's uh, it's a good one, though. I should maybe send Nui a note. Saying, yeah. Hey, do you remember this? But uh, no, I got <laughs> I got my Stanley Cup ring and that was uh, that was all I need. But that was that was a lot of fun. We, it's one of those situations where I was put in by a hitch and uh, – we clicked right away, and my roles were more on the penalty killing and the third line, fourth line depth guys. But when you step into a second line role and an offensive role, uh, I was fortunate that um, we, we gelled very quickly, and we were able to put some points up and help us get us through the uh, conference final against Colorado. Yeah, had you had practice on that line prior? Uh, I played with Nui and, and Jamie before at different times throughout the. That, that was my third year with with both of those guys on the team. We were all, you know. We were a veteran team, so I played with multiple guys on different times. You never know with Hitch at times. He changed lines up regularly, so if, if one guy was having a good game, another guy wasn't, um, or he wanted to send messages or just you know change things up, uh, it, it, it was comfortable, I think, for most guys to move up. I think it was, it was tougher to play with, with Mo uh, because of his speed. Um, and that line that he had with Yuri, Yuri would, was the Energizer Bunny. He could keep up with Mo, and, and Hulley was smart enough to understand, you know, he maybe didn't skate as fast, but he didn't have to. He just needed to be in the right position for Mike to make the play. So 
he was probably the toughest guy to play with because of his speed. Whereas, um, you know, Nui and Jamie were, were more my style of play. So it was actually easier. We were the, our team style of play was, you know, get it deep, outwork the other teams low, you know, win the one-on-one battles. And that's where, you know, Joe was fantastic in the face-off circles down in front of the net. And Jamie Langenbrunner was, um, you know, he, he was a do-it-all type of player. He was great in the defensive zone, high energy, great speed, young kid. So we just seemed to mix. But it didn't really matter who you played with on that team. You you, uh, um, you found a way to to gel. I mean, even Mike got hurt in that, that playoff, and Tony Herkus stepped in on the top line for Mo, and, and we didn't miss a beat. Yeah, I honestly, um, I honestly, Dave, I don't know how you guys did it back then. Fox Sports Southwest just reran a lot of the games during this pandemic. And even the scrums that didn't turn into fights, I mean, compared to today's game, I mean, do you ever, like, look back or see old games and say, wow, what a difference? Oh, yeah, I I, I didn't get the opportunity to watch those. I don't get uh, Fox Sports Southwest up where I live. But, uh, you know, it, when you do see the older games, it's like, holy cow. Like, yeah. the game's changed. You know, the game is uh, it's speed and skill now. And, uh, you know, when we played, you still had an intimidation factor. But in the playoffs, you had to really check your emotions. Uh, and you couldn't cross the line. You know, you went, you pushed the line. And I, and I know that we were allowed to do more with the hooking and the holding and the, the face washes and, you know, kind of the later hits and stuff uh, that they don't allow in today's game once, once they kind of sped up the game and changed the rules so it's more free-flowing, which, which would be amazing to see guys like Mike Madano playing today's game where you couldn't grab onto a sweater and hang onto him halfway yeah. up the ice. Um, but it, it's, uh, yeah, the game's progressed. And you go back and look at games in the 70s and 60s and 50s and the, the progression that everybody says and, you know, through the decades, it's interesting. But uh, it was a different style, and, and we, we played a little bit every style with that team. We had a big, physical, tough team if you wanted to play that way. We had a skilled team. We had a fast team. Defensively, we could check with you. Offensively, we could score with you. And, and that's why we were successful. Uh, it was a very well-put-together team. Bob Ganey and Doug Armstrong did a great job of putting the right people in the right place um, and, and filling the holes that we needed. And then Hitch was the mastermind uh, technician behind the bench who, Drove everybody crazy, but got us all pulling the rope in the same direction. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 20-plus years now. Um, so statue yeah. of limitations are in effect, Dave. Uh, so one listener wanted to know about the infamous pool party. Did Dave Reed have anything to do with that supposed dent in the Stanley Cup? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was there, but I, I left, I think, before the uh, the dent happened in the uh, in the Cup. There's, there's certain parties that you get to, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. All I can say is thank goodness we didn't have cell phones back then because, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that, that was quite a party. But no, I was not involved with that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I had my own experience denting the cup with Colorado a couple years later. I, we dented the base. We had a little party at our house afterwards and someone put it into a wall and I had to knock out the base and back to, uh, fortunately I had been with the cup two years earlier. So, it's it's funny that we get in and we're the, we have a team meeting the next day at the rink and I'm talking to Mike Bolt, the cup guy, and I'm like, hey Mike, I you know I dented the base, but I, I tapped it out. You know, I'm able to tap it out with some tools, and he says, ah, says, don't worry, buddy. He says that'll be replaced three times before this summer, and says, that, that's only the first of many. But <laughs> you uh, did it yourself. But, you actually went you you basically went into your garage and fixed it yourself. Yeah, it, it, the, the the base is black, so it's not the same. Okay, but it was it was a it was a it was a metal like a aluminum type thing, and and so I just took like a piece of wood and a hammer and just slowly tapped it out, and uh, 
you know, kind of get the uh, rounded it back out to where it was from the inside out. And uh, I wasn't too concerned because I, I, I had a feeling that they've, that the, the base is something that, because you can see as you look at it, that it, it's uh, replaceable. Uh, anyhow, it's one of those things, you know, like I can only imagine how many guys have done the same thing I did. <laughs> and I was a little panicky, right? I'm like, I'm a little panicky going yeah. out and like, you know, really serious. I don't worry about it. That's all fine. <laughs> all He's like, that's nothing compared. So, uh, any, anything that happens to the cup, it's, uh, it's all in, Good, uh, good fun, and I think I think it just adds to the character and the uh, the charisma and the charm of the trophy. Wow! So you you were on two special teams in Dallas, and then you went to Colorado, and both teams made those epic Stanley Cup runs. And you know, one of the things that is mentioned a lot is knowing what it takes. Can you describe what that means from a player's perspective? Yeah, I learned that uh, in Dallas was my first one and we had guys like uh, Luddy and, and Carbo and uh, Mike Keane, Brian Scrudlin, you know, knew he had won, Sean Chambers, um, guys who had won cups uh, and and their, um, their their ability to get to the rink in big situations was much more relaxed because they were like, hey, we got this. And and it's like, I found that out. You know, I'm, you know, we're going into final games and you've got, you know, you guys are pacing. You know, Mike had never won, Holly hadn't won, I hadn't won. The guys are pacing, and, and Zuby was another guy who would want a cup uh, with us in Dallas, and, and Eddie was the same. Eddie hadn't won. So everybody's, you know, you're on, oh, man, we got to win this game. It's so important. Two years later, I met that guy going, hey, we got this. You, you're, you're like, you know, okay, I've done this. We, I've got one, one. I know, you know, we, we got this. We're a good enough team, and it's the inner confidence that you have knowing that, okay, you know what? I, uh, I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. And I think that's where that experience really comes up. It's uh it's you know, guys can can say the right thing. Mike Keane was always great at uh, being able to to break the mood of Brian Strule or say the right thing to make sure everybody refocuses on on what we're doing now. Because so many times guys will look at, and I was like this in Dallas. I had one. You're, you're looking at the prize at the end. You're in the final, or you're playing Colorado in a game seven, and you're you're so focused. Oh man, if we win this game, we're going to win the cup. Or now I got to win this game, and it's like no, no, don't worry about winning the game. Let's worry about winning the first period. Let's worry about winning the first shift. And that's where the veteran guys come in and bring you back to the same thing that we talked about in game 45 or game 55. It's like, okay, guys, let's, let's win this shift. Let's win this period. Let's get a good start. Um, and that's where the veteran experience comes in, brings you back to today, what we're doing in the moment, rather than um, thinking about, wow, what if? And once you've won it, you've already won it. So now you can refocus the next time around on, hey, guys, we need to win right now. And I think that's where the, that experience uh, is huge because – it just gets guys refocused at the right time uh, to do their job. And that's really all, all it takes is to the team that can focus the most. And that's why, um, you know, a team like St. Louis won last year, but I was like, wow, they had zero experience. And, and that's, that's a difficult thing to do to, uh, to have a team. Um, and, and because the emotions are incredibly high. You can't help but think about, hey, I'm going to win the Stanley Cup, you know, going into a game and we're up against Buffalo. We're up. Uh, three games to two, and, and, you know, you don't sleep the night before the day of the game because it's all you're thinking about. It's, oh, I'm going to win the cup. Oh, I'm going to win the cup. And Meanwhile, you get a game to play, and that's that's the the real focus is to be able to play that game, and that's where the experience comes in. That, that That's what I found when I moved to Colorado my second time. We, I, I guys like Ray Bork, I remember coming in in game seven, I sat beside him in the locker room, and I was, hey, Bubs, everybody called him Bubs. Hey, Bubs, how's it going? Oh, he was. I said, hey, did you have good naps afternoon? And I was, I was like, I'm an hour and a half, and oh, he was cursing and swearing at me because he was, Hey, this is his game seven. He never won, 
been in the league 22 years. Wow. And I was so relaxed coming in, and so were guys like Joe Sackick, Pat Groff, but and all the stars who'd won it, and they're relaxed. Like, hey, we got this. Don't worry about it. And here's Ray, you know, a Hall of Famer, nervous as could be. Um, you know, and Rob Blake was the same. So it's it's just interesting that the the mood and the that that relaxed part. But I I really found the second time you you just focused on what you need to do at, in the moment. So did you see a different Ray Bork from your time in Boston, as compared to that guy that sat next to you in the locker room? You know what? On a regular basis, they they basically was the same. He was very focused. I mean, I played with Ray in Boston. He was incredibly focused. He worked harder than anybody in practice. But most superstars in the game do. Uh, when we got to Colorado, that was I would say that's probably the first time I've ever seen nerves in Ray was in Game Seven before the game. And what you know, once you get the game going, and Ray's a vocal guy, he's a, a fun guy in the locker room. And uh, you know, once you get closer to the game, he got into his game mode. But you know, when you're a couple hours before the game. That's the most, and you know, I've never seen Ray nervous because he's always so poised and, you know, it's like all superstars. You don't see the nerves in them because they just go about their business. And that was an interesting moment. But uh, he was great with us in Colorado. I mean, he was, uh, I think he was one of our top players. I think he was a first-team All-Star, first or second-team All-Star that year in the National Hockey League when he retired. So that kind of tells you how good he was. We're talking with Dave Reed, two-time cup winner from your Dallas Stars. One of those cups came and also now one of the, Better, what I feel, a better analyst in the NHL working for NHL Network. Don't forget to check out NHL Network's coverage. They're going to be all over this upcoming NHL playoff, which is going to be absolutely exciting. Let's transition to today's stars. Jim Nill uh, has said that the reason he brought in guys like Pavelski and Perry and even a guy like Ben Bishop a few years back is because of that playoff seasoning that we've been talking about. How do you look at this Stars team as far as a potential playoff run? I like what they've got. I, I, I love the defense on the team. Uh, they're they're now known as a defensive um, you know, juggernaut, one of the top teams in the league for goals against, tough to score against, tough to, tough to really get any offense going in, in the defensive zone. Uh, and that playoffs, uh, to me, is still one of the most important things. And you know, you bring in a Pavelski and Corey Perry. You know, they if they get hot, they get in situations they can still play offense, they can still score. Uh, when you've already got Sagan and Ben there, that helps. Uh, and I, I like this team, uh, kind of top to bottom. Goaltending is excellent. You, you know, the common Bishop and Hudobin is a fantastic pair. It goes along with the defensive mindset. And it's this is going to be a weird year. But even coming into the playoffs before uh, the shutdown started. I really think this team, um, you know, after letting Jim Montgomery go, Rick Bonus comes in. I really think this team, if they can find a way to score a few more goals, if they can get that, that timely, a little more consistent scoring, I think they could be a threat along with anybody else. I and mean, the Central Division is one of the toughest divisions. It proves that with three teams of the four going into the round robin starting in the in the, in the uh, playoff rounds coming up next week. So um, I like what they've got, but they've got to be able to – You've got to be able to score given the opportunity, and that's what the team has struggled at pretty much most of the season. And you played against, you just missed Rick Bonus in Boston, but you played against him for a number of uh, years. Uh, was there a certain coaching style when you went up against a Bonus-type team and your years now as an analyst? Do you, have you seen his style change in any way? Yeah, you know, I was there with Rick in Boston. Oh, okay. Um, they let him go. I got back there in 91, 92, and... Um, we got to the conference final, and that was in Pittsburgh was in their run with Mary Lemieux and their stack team there. 
they swept up us in four in the conference final, and then they, they swept Chicago. But Rick was our coach, and they switched Rick out for Brian Sutter. And, and we had a team there that we had all sorts of – we like went through over 50 players. And Rick was a very uh, a very good coach as far as having – you know, saying here's the message, what we need to do. Uh, we played in the old Boston Gardens. It was a small ring, so it's like pretty much just get the pucks to the net. Let's get the offense going, but be conscious defensively. And the Bruins were always a pretty defensive-conscious team. That was – you know, Rick, Rick was more known as an assistant coach. So assistant coaches are are the friends to the guys, the the the, the coach that can kind of break the ice with the, with the head coach. You know, when you've got an issue, you'd go to an assistant coach, and that Rick was very approachable. He was like that as a head coach. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if he how many how many tweaks he's going to make from when we we shut down in March to where the guys are coming back now, where he's had the opportunity to kind of revisit players and maybe some line juggling. It's difficult to change coaches midway through the season and, and keep up the same momentum. So uh, I like Bones as a coach. He's a great guy, and I, I hope he has great success because there's nobody in the coaching ranks who deserves it more than Rick Bonus. So I think the players know it, and the players will play for him. Yeah, one of the things that they've done in practice down here, whether or not we see it in game, but they switched up the lines in that now you have Sagan with Hintz as the center and Gurianov which I think provides a lot more offense and might give Tyler Sagan that opportunity to get going in the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to rely on Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. I mean, you've got the young guys. Gary Hamm and Hits are fantastic. And, and I think a, an unknown for the team could be Radulov coming in through the playoffs here. It's, uh, um, the, you have guys who are going to step up in big moments. Sagan, uh, Sagan, Ben, Radulov, they've proven they can do that. Hints last year was phenomenal in the playoffs. So, uh, it's the Gurianov. He's going to be interesting to see how he comes back. I mean, he's continued to improve in his short time with the Stars over the few years. He's a couple of years in the American League, so um, and this year he was a breakout year offensively with his 20 goals. So it's going to be interesting. But you know, I, I don't personally, I don't put a lot of stock in lines as you go along because they can change in a heartbeat. And you know, some coaches are, are we're keeping our lines, we're sticking with them. But I really think, and well, the Stars have got a, the luxury of, of playing in the preliminary round, which gives them the three games of, of play to determine one through four. And, and looking at a quick look at the standings, I'm pretty sure they were fourth coming in. So even if even if they end up fourth, they haven't changed their status coming in. So they have those three games to kind of set up, whereas other teams have three games to set up and they're playing in the, the preliminary playoffs. Uh, the, the first round, they could be out in three games. So Dallas has got that that luxury, and it'll be interesting to see how the line juggling goes on um, when you play somebody else with not wearing uh, a star on their jersey in the yeah. scrimmage games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At NHL Network, you guys throw up a lot of analytics on the screen. I think it's fascinating to to watch, and you know, um, I think analytics are a huge part of the game. But it's amazing when the playoffs start how kind of the old school part of the game comes back in and you see more physicality and a guy like, uh, I'll use Patrick Maroon last year, um, a guy that's not necessarily going to show up at the top of the analytics leaderboard yet beats the stars. So the St. Louis blues could move on and has a huge goal against the Bruins to win the cup. Uh, do you guys see that from your network analysis as well? Yeah, it's difficult. I'm not a big analytics guy. I appreciate um, what it can provide, uh, what it can do. But I, I think once you hit playoffs and big moments come from anybody, and Maroon, it's a perfect example by throwing Patrick Maroon out there. I mean, he's just a big body. and it gets the playoffs, it's all about one-on-one battles and competing.
competing and winning one-on-one battles. It's not about uh, well, how many times did you dump the puck out or dump the puck in, or how many times did you cross the line, you know, with a, uh, with a uh, taking the puck over from zone to zone, zone entry, zone exit. It's all about hey, we're in the zone. I got to win the battle in the corner, and that's that in playoffs is more important. And you know, you if you win the battle at the right time, like you might lose a bunch of battles somewhere, but if you win that battle at the right time and create the goal that wins you the game that is desperately needed. Um, that's really all anybody cares about. And it, it, guys like Maroon are capable of that because of the size that he's got. And he, he was never the fastest, but he was very difficult last year's playoffs below the goal line in front of the net. And he caused all sorts of havoc for teams because of his ability to just get in the way and bang some goals in and make some plays. And a lot of times you look at it go, ah, regular season, 82 games, that's, you know, it's, it's, we need we need faster players, but in the playoffs, eh, you know what? Maybe we need one or two of those guys. Yeah, and um, that that's where I I I, I use the eye test in playoffs, and it's being one on one battles to me is more important than than how many times uh, you know you, you can count a stat because it's just such a short series, and um, you know you might have terrible stats all year, and boom! I I think the uh, Lemieux was probably. Uh, Clodomir was probably the best out. He wasn't necessarily the best player in the regular season. He didn't get a lot of goals or points. But come playoff time, he was huge. Mike Keane, another guy. You know, he got two goals in game seven against uh, the Avs in 99. Here's another guy who might chip in 12 goals, and all of a sudden playoff time comes in, and, you know, he and Carbo were phenomenal up front. They were probably the most consistent players throughout our four rounds. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, but uh, I still think playoffs are just a little bit there, a lot different, and it's tough to bring in regular season analytics um, as to say, well, this guy should be playing, this guy shouldn't be playing. It's all, if you're playing well today, you're going to play for me tomorrow. Yeah, like the, kind of the, way it works the Ryan Reeves line impact for Vegas. Or I mean, I remember yeah. last year yeah. with the with the Cup, uh, St. Louis and Boston, one of the big storylines was who's going to win the battle of the third and fourth lines. Yeah, and that's that usually is the way it works at, at, when you get to that point. It's the, the depth of the teams, and which guys on those depth lines are gonna are gonna step up at the right moment. And uh, normally, just banging in a goal around the crease. It's not you know not the previous goal, but it's it's the goal that because uh, uh, the top two lines will do their thing offensively. They're always you see they're a wash. It's who's gonna win those those you know. It's like the last pair in defense. Who's gonna be better the last pair in defense for each team? That that five six pairing. Who's going to win on that five-six pairing? Because they're going to be matched up when the home ice advantage isn't there against the, the bad draws and the defenses on faceoffs. When you can't change, which group of the pairings is going to be be stronger? And um, doesn't always show up in the stats, but it's teams you you know we appreciate those guys playing in those roles because if you know you you're, they always say you're only as good as your weakest link. Well, if your weakest link isn't weak, then you got a good chance of winning. Any one or two teams that you like going into this? Well, you know, I would say uh, coming in, I was I was liking the way uh, Colorado was playing uh, in the West, and I was liking the way Boston was going in the East. But now, I think with everybody getting healthy and everybody resetting, I I don't think anybody's favored. Uh, it's it's just to you know, you can look at all the stats and everything, but right now, I I think whoever gets off to the best start and whoever gets on a roll. Um, you know, and, and can find the scoring, can find the team play quick enough. I think that's the team uh, that'll give the advantage to. And I mean, that could be anybody. So uh, I'm, not, I'm really not favoring anybody. But going into it months ago, 
those are the two teams that to me were really impressing. NHL vet, two-time cup champion, one with the stars, which we'll always be grateful for. Now one of the top analysts on NHL network, check out their coverage and you can check out all their coverage, uh, NHL network, uh, nhlnetwork.com. It's about to be back. Uh, keep up the great work. And I, I do end, I know you're a two-time Stanley Cup champion, but, you know, looking at some of these factoids about Dave Reed, in 83-84, I don't know what was in the water in Petersboro, or Peterborough, 60 games, 97 points, 60 games, 64 assists. That's Connor McDavid-like numbers in the OHL for Dave Reed. Uh, yeah, well, I, you always say you, you don't make it by uh, you don't make it by blocking shots at any time. You make it because you've got skill somewhere. So everybody who came to the NHL had skill and were able to do it. So yeah, I was the captain of the team in Peterborough, and I, I started my career as an offensive player. And then uh, through my years in Boston, uh, I realized that my offense was very sporadic, and to be in the National Hockey League, it has to be more consistent. So that's where my hockey sense and my skating. Uh, allowed me to get more in that defensive role and penalty killing role, and that's where my career was really able to take off and you know, fall back in the '99 playoffs when I get the opportunity to play for short spurts with the skilled players. I was able to uh, understand the game, and I think most guys are like that. Guy Carbon had phenomenal stats in junior hockey in the American Hockey League, and he was one of the best, obviously, as the Selkie Trophy guys and defensive players in the game. So. One day, one day, I was able to do it, but uh, my career was no more as a role player and. Uh, uh, the checker penalty killer, and I'm just grateful that I I was able to adapt when I did and continue my career. You're too humble. That's a, you had a pretty darn good career, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Took two cops and a, a lengthy career, and now a very good analyst for NHL Network. Thanks for the time today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Gavin. Enjoy the games. All right, thanks. And don't forget, you can watch Dave and others. On NHL tonight, 5 o'clock, plus NHL Network will feature exhibition games beginning this upcoming Tuesday at 7. Visit NHLnetwork.com for your local listings. Always great to talk to Dave about the current state of the NHL as well as a throwback from that 99 amazing Stanley Cup team by the Dallas Stars. Let's get to the mailbag. A lot of you had some great questions this week. One of the questions thrown out there is, Gavin, what do you think of who will get the share of the load as far as Hudobin and Bishop? Uh, I think, you know, when you have this three-game set, you're probably going to be looking at Bishop for two games, Hudobin for one, and, and then you're looking at Bishop. I mean, depending how they play out those three games, I mean, obviously, if if Bishop struggles, then you'll see more of Hudobin, but when you look at the experience of Ben Bishop and what he brings as far as a playoff goalie with a guy that needs to get you a win, you got to go up, you got to go with Ben Bishop. The other thing I want everyone to think about is how tight it gets when playoffs come. Everything's tighter. It's more of a physical game. So getting the puck out of your zone quickly is crucial. And that's where Ben Bishop almost becomes that seventh defenseman for you. Um, he's very vocal. He's a, a very good puck handling goalie. And, you know, he'll tell the defensemen as they're backtracking where the forwards are coming. He'll also spread out the ice. He'll also make the forwards have to lean towards the boards to pin the puck up against the boards to try to keep it in the zone. So I think for those reasons and for the fact that he is your starting goalie, we'll see more of Bishop 
other than Hudobin. And then someone asked, what is the status of Hudobin next year? I think that's a real interesting question. Currently on the books for $2.5 million. I think Anton Hudobin, as he gets later in the year, it seems like he's getting better and better. Uh, I covered Anton for the Houston Arrows, um, and you know one of the question marks was consistency. You'd see uh, one of those games where he'd struggle, and then another game, you know, he was by far the best goalie in the AHL, and you said this guy's NHL ready. Well, he struggled at first, and watching him throughout the years, it just seems like that consistency has come around. I think he is a starting caliber goalie at this point if a team needs a starting goalie. So my thing is, if I'm Jim Nill in the Dallas Stars, uh, if it's $3 million for one year, because remember, you got Jake Ettinger coming, their number one draft pick from a few years ago. I think Ettinger is about a year away, although at this time when the NHL and AHL ended, Jake Ettinger was the hottest goalie in the AHL. So I think Ettinger is going to be a real good one. I've watched a lot of tape on him. Uh, I see a lot of great characteristics, still real young. Just a few years ago, he's playing for Boston University in Hockey East. But I think he's going to be a real good goalie, and I think he's going to be ready probably about a year away. So what does that mean for Anton Hudobin? I think if it's $3 million for one year, yes. But if I'm Anton Hudobin, I'm kind of looking for a multi-year deal. I don't know if the Stars can afford to give that to him, especially if that camp's looking for $4 million. So it'll be interesting to watch as far as the offseason. Um, hopefully Hudobin's raising the cup and we don't have to uh, worry about that. IndyCar Tim, always a big supporter of Sweaters Forever, asked, do the Stars have a legit chance at a deep playoff run? Um, will I make another appearance on his Drunk Sports DFW podcast? Of course I will. Anytime anyone wants to talk puck, uh, I just absolutely love it, and especially this time of year when before we know it, the NHL is going to be back. So are the Stars going to make a deep playoff run? I would love to express my opinion, but I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. I think the the Dallas Stars are like a Six Flags ride. It has been an absolute roller coaster this year. Let's look back. Started woefully and then started to play better hockey and then went on a tear and was one of the best teams in the NHL and then struggled before the pandemic hit. Otherwise, I think Winnipeg would have surpassed them. They were that bad as far as hockey. Jamie Ben said as much. The stoppage happened at the right time for them. So I think when it comes um, to a star's prediction, if they come out of the gate and they play physical and they play their game and they can halt the scoring and get some scoring, especially on the power play, yeah, they can make a deep playoff run. But the exact opposite can happen. What I'm nervous about on this, uh, where they have to play Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado, is those aren't great matchups. So I don't want everyone to hit the panic button and say, you know, this is for seeding alone. So it's a good way to get the feel of what your stars are going to be. But I don't like the Vegas and St. Louis matchup. Vegas and St. Louis are physical, like to pin you up against the boards. I don't think the stars match up well against that. So um, what do I, so another person asked, what do I think of the new, uh, Seattle Kraken logo. I absolutely love it. Uh, I think it was visionary. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's the first ever cephalopod. 
um, logo and team name. Uh, a cephalopod is an octopus or squid-like creature. So I think it fits perfect with the Pacific Northwest and the shipping industry. And I just love that name, Kraken. Kraken against the boards. Um, here comes the Kraken when they come out of the penalty box. I also love the coloring uh, of Kraken because it mirrors the the colors of the Mariners, the colors of the Sounders, the colors of the Seahawks. So it has that kind of Seattle blue teal look. And then you have that tentacle coming up through the S with the red eye. That's perfect. If you haven't seen it, check out the secondary logo, and that will be worn on the shoulders at the top of the sweaters. And at first glance, those look like two anchors. But if you look closely at the anchor, the body of the anchor moving up toward the top is actually the Seattle Space Needle. So I thought that was a real nice touch as well. I think merchandise is going to fly off the shelves. Uh, Kraken is going to be a it's a it's a catchy name. It's a great name. And I'm also excited about that Stars Seattle Vancouver road trip. And for that matter, that Seattle Vancouver rivalry, which we've seen in the MLS, is real, real hot between the Sounders and the Whitecaps. I think it's going to be great for the NHL. I think the NHL has absolutely hit a home run finding another market. Uh, that will buy season tickets at a moment's notice, uh, rebuilding an arena like they're doing uh, from the old key arena. And don't be surprised if the success of this might warrant the Seattle Sonics or an NBA franchise coming back to that area. Uh, That's kind of uh, jumping ahead, but I think it's going to have the same effect um, that it did in Vegas. One of the things that you guys talked about uh, online yesterday was Well, is it going to be like Vegas as far as the NHL expansion draft, where Vegas took on a lot of salary cap? Remember, they were starting at zero. So taking on a goalie like Fleury, who made 7.5 to 8 million, not a problem at all. And you're getting one of the better goalies in the NHL. So taking on these salaries was not an issue. Meanwhile, the opposite end, a lot of teams wanted to dump salaries. And they used Vegas as a uh, salary dump uh, so that they could have some cap relief. And that benefited the Vegas Golden Knights. Will that happen again? I don't believe it will. I think teams are smarter now. I think they're going to look at the Vegas, not just success in that first year with a Stanley Cup run, but the continued success as well as the players coming up from the minors of Vegas and saying, no, we cannot allow Seattle uh, to do this. So how does this affect the Stars? Well, one of the things is you can only keep three defensemen. So there was talk yesterday about what players to protect. The question is, will any of the stars waive their no-movement clauses? Will a Jamie Benn in a few years want to be closer to home um, where he grew up around the uh, British Columbia, Vancouver area? Will he want to be closer to home Uh, at the tail end of his career. I'm not sure at that point, um, but, you know, he's got a long-term contract uh, with the Stars, as does Tyler Sagan. So if they're not willing to move their no-movement class uh, causes, that still ties up a lot of salary. One defenseman that you need to look at is John Klingberg, and the reasoning is this. Right now he's on a very fair contract at about $4.5 million a year. 
when the expansion draft happens, he will only have one year of eligibility left. How much is John Klingberg going to receive on that open market? Is it going to be eight or nine million a year? Offensive defensemen are a premium in this league, probably more than ever right now. So what is a John Klingberg going to get if he were to go on the open market? And does Jim Nill have the cap relief to sign John Klingberg to a long-term contract? The other factor with the Stars is you have Miro Haskinen, and with a couple of more years, has his offensive development increased where he's your top line blue liner on the power play. And basically he's evolving into a top line blue liner where his offensive skill set is improved as well as his defensive skill set. And then you have Thomas Harley, who a lot of people in the stars organization are very high on. So if you have those two players Are you going to commit to a long-term contract with John Klingberg? And if you're Seattle, that's that's a very, very tasty player to take in as far as uh, a defenseman in the expansion draft in John Klingberg. So I I think that's a real, real interesting question that we're looking forward to in a couple of years, still a couple of years away as far as the Dallas Stars and uh, the expansion draft. Fuzzy Wuzzy Boom Boom's always a big supporter of the Stars uh, Sweaters Forever uh, podcast. He asks, who threw the cup at Vinny's house that resulted in being dented? We just heard from Dave Reed. He had left the party at that point. But if you didn't get to hear the Dave Reed dent and fixing it himself story, that to me is a great story. I just can't picture myself denting such a prized possession, arguably one of the greatest trophies in the world, and you're sitting there with a piece of wood trying to get the dent out. Uh, it's really, really fascinating. Uh, so thank you so much for your questions. Uh, they're wonderful. They're awesome. And thank you so much for supporting the Sweaters Forever podcast. So how do we grow this thing? We're going to continue doing interviews. We're going to continue doing this uh, through the Stars, uh, hopefully long playoff run. I think the first thing is tell a friend. Forward the link that I will send out. And tell everyone that we have a local Stars NHL podcast, and you'll want to support this. Uh, the second thing is support people like Choctaw. A simple email to Choctaw, say, hey, I listened to this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting hockey and DFW. Uh, that would be great. And thanks again to the people at Choctaw Casino and Resort. Your favorite slots. Remember, uh, I like playing the slots. I'm a slot guy. I had some good success up at Choctaw playing the slots. They have table games. The food up there is terrific. Uh, just visit their world-class casino uh, tell them the Sweaters Forever podcast sent you. Thanks so much for uh, Choctaw for supporting us. And we'll be back uh, next week as we prepare for the NHL to begin. Thanks so much for listening to the Sweaters Forever podcast right here on 105.3 The Fan.